Welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling, the wrestling review podcast. We're here in 2021, which means, yeah, we made it, which means we're going to go back to 2019 and (laughs) discuss the very first, the inaugural All Elite Wrestling AEW pay-per-view Double or Nothing taking place May 25th, 2019 at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Technically, it's Paradise, Nevada, which is just fucking Las Vegas, so I don't yeah. know why they don't just say it. Las Vegas, Nevada, with a attendance of 12,000 or 13,000 or 20,000, depending on who you yes. asked, because, of course, in wrestling, you always... You always run up. Exactly. My name is Tommy. I am joined, as always, by... Me, Olivia. Yes, and uh, we wanted to go back and discuss the AEW pay-per-views, because there's only, like, eight of them, give or take. Yeah. Um, and I figured, we both figured... That if we do these, get done with them, do the 2019-2020 AEW pay-per-views, we'll be able to incorporate current AEW pay-per-views in with the 80 stuff we're going to do and then the current WWE pay-per-views and whatnot. So it just seemed like a really smart idea to get through these real quick. Exactly. And it doesn't hurt that AEW's got phenomenal wrestling. Exactly. Really good wrestling. And, you know, I love this idea just because, you know, as a longtime fan of many a wrestling podcast, I have to say that I just feel like sometimes, like, the hosts, like, you know, before AEW came along, they just really got bogged down by having to talk about really only WWE, um, because even then, like, not a lot of them would talk, like, they would do, like, their little short, like, little news YouTube videos about it, but, um, in terms of the longer format podcast that they would put out, you know, it would pretty much exclusively be WWE content. Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty smart on our end to, you know, just incorporate AEW since I feel like we're kind of in a, you know, a dawn of a new era of wrestling, which is really exciting. Right. Um, you you so. get to, I mentioned this on our 2020 in review episode. Um, thank you for everyone who listened to that, by the way, that you get to experience kind of like a modern day Monday Night Wars, even though it's on Wednesday now. So Yeah, which actually uh, is a perfect transition into my opening question, if you don't mind. Well, yes. Hit me with the opening question and then we'll hit something right afterwards. Okay, perfect. So this is why this is a perfect transition. In the years following the Monday Night Wars, we witnessed the emergence of several smaller American wrestling promotions. Uh, however, with very few of them being televised. Throughout those years, we've seen very few survive the test of time the way that WWE has. Do you think that AEW has the capability to outlast the daunting task of retaining viewership? Oh, I definitely do. Yeah. Um, I think it does something that TNA was able to do at the beginning where it was so interesting and could have been a contender if Hulk Hogan didn't come in and fuck it all up. Um, Something that um, I feel can be really good counter television to WWE. So fans like us who like both can be like, I want to watch Raw, then I want to watch Dynamite, then I want to watch NXT, then I want to watch SmackDown, that sort of thing. And I think it's a very good counter program. Same with the people back in the Attitude Era that would be able to switch from Raw to Nitro and the numbers would just keep going up. We're never going to get the 10 million people we had watching wrestling on Monday nights that we did in the 90s. But, I mean, it's like 4 million people, which is okay, 3, 4 million people. So, but you have to think, like, you know, I, I I hate to say this to, you know, older wrestling fans. I feel like a lot of people who, you know, really discuss wrestling on the internet tend to be of the millennial age. And so I have to say, like, you know, I, I, that's always like a thing that's thrown around that's saying, you know, oh, we're never going to get the 10 million viewership, you know, per episode. But when you think about it, I feel like the content of wrestling is so much more 
expansive now just because like now you know you can watch it on TV but then you can watch clips of it on YouTube but then you can go to like these different networks and different apps and then watch wrestling through there so I feel like even though the actual like televised number isn't as high as it once was I think that that has just inherently changed in the way you know like for example a good you know counterpoint to that would be like music for example where um, it was all about how many albums you sold, now it's um, about but streams. now it's about streams, yeah. you know? Um, and that took a while to, you know, change, and I feel like wrestling is kind of the same way, where um, televised viewership doesn't mean as much as it once did. Uh, so I think that, you know, while people may say, like, oh, like, nobody's ever going to watch it as much as they did in the 90s, I kind of tend to disagree with that, because even if you're, like, a lay wrestling fan and you don't catch it on TV, you're still bound to, like, watch clips of it on youtube or if you like to go back and watch old pay-per-views you got the network that's so. true yeah and we like we don't have cable yeah. so we can watch nxt wednesday's nxt on thursday because yeah. that's when it airs on the network so yeah you're right i definitely think so i just think with the amount of ways you'll have to like calculate that whether it'd be like app views or youtube views or television views it might just be a little harder because on tv you were like cool 10 million people watched raw slash nitro that's easy that was just on tv it's the only way you can watch it now you'd have to be like who watched it on youtube we watched it on well, this blah, 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 i think blah. maybe in this day and age just the fact that any sort of program is offered a tv deal a tv contract for you know a set amount of years um speaks a lot um that not only does that television network have a lot of confidence in that program that they're going to do well and continue to do well um, but I think that in the day and age where televised views aren't as high as they were, it's harder to get that TV deal in the first place. So right. I think it's pretty significant that AEW was able to lock down that deal with TNT and, you know, been doing their thing ever since. That's true. Yeah. And it's been good. Uh, they have some growing pains. Of course they're going to. Yeah. Um, but I think AEW has been very good and it's helped WWE step up their game. Absolutely. I think, I think Even so. if I don't like everything WWE's done, I don't like everything AEW's done. Yeah. So, um, which actually transitions kind of into what I want to talk about. So, okay. um, you mentioned TNT, which is what AEW's on. And that brings me to the most recent episode of AEW Dynamite that we saw on the 30th of 2020 i believe was the day um so we recorded our year in review on christmas eve yeah um and then we released it a couple days later i can't remember the exact dates um and we did an in memoriam for all the wrestlers who passed away in the year 2020 one we didn't get to talk about was john huber who in AEW was known as mr Brody lee and wwe was known as luke harper because he passed away the day after christmas from non-related uh, non-COVID-related lung issues. So we kind of missed the boat on that. Um, so, you know, that was out of nowhere. Um, other than the people in AEW, no one knew that he was battling a lung disease. His last match took place, I believe, in September, October on television. And he passed away at the age of 41, which was terrible. Um, just so sad and out of nowhere. And AEW did a beautiful Dynamite episode in his honor. His son was there. He got to pick the main event with his three favorite wrestlers, which was Cody Rhodes, Orange Cassidy, and the Dark Order's 10, because Brody Lee was the leader of the Dark Order. Um, and he got to hit MJF in the face with a kendo stick, and he got in the ring at the end of it in an emotional thing, um, little moment. Tony Khan said he's the forever TNT champion because his dad was the TNT champ, and he got a contract signed and when he's old enough to wrestle if he wants to he can wrestle for AEW and I thought that was just really beautiful and it was really heartbreaking because 
we see wrestlers die a lot, unfortunately. Like, Pat Patterson was super old. He lived a great life. He's so well-known. Road Warrior Animal, legend, lived a very long life, very good life. But then Brody Lee was still wrestling. And it kind of reminded me of, like, Owen Hart or Eddie Guerrero or even Chris Benoit. Or, um, to where it's, like, it's such a shock. And they're still there. You see them every week. And so I think AEW did a, just a beautiful tribute to him. Um, rest in peace to the guy because he was a very good wrestler. WWE let AEW do their tribute and then did a trip follow-up tribute to it. They wanted the company he actually worked for currently to do the tribute first, which I think was very big on their part as well. So, yeah, just rest rest in peace to John Huber, I guess is the name we'll call him since he had different names. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of crazy. We've I feel like, you know, when we were doing our wrap-up show and you were going through, like, the list of names, like, I feel like we've lost, like, quite a few icons this year, mm-hmm. um, which I always, like, kind of weirdly feels like happens in, like, just random years where it just feels like a lot of people die. And, I mean, you know, whether it's COVID-related or not, um, it's, like, pretty sad when, you know, a lot of people that you're you're a fan of and that you've been watching forever and you feel like you have some sort of connection to um, pass on, so. Yeah, he was known as, like, a really good big man in the ring, and I thought dude was super talented. I had never seen a match with him until he came to NXT back in, like, 2012. Yeah. Joined the Wyatt family, of course, which is what you and I would know him the yeah. most from. Most people would know him the most from. Um, and then he broke away from the Wyatt family, had a good singles run, was the Intercontinental Champion. Him and Eric Rowan had great tag team matches with the Usos. The Bludgeon Brothers were big. He almost even had a world title program yeah. with Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt. Um, and then he, you know, he left WWE with creative differences, went to AEW this May, like he, or I guess last May, May 2020, and only got like five months with the company. He took over the Dark Order. It was really interesting. Some of it was really funny. And it's just really depressing we didn't get to see the dude continue to do what he was really good at doing. Um, No one has said a bad word about the guy. Um, Everyone on the AEW side and the WWE side, like Bray Wyatt, um, who was supposed to be dead in (laughs) storyline, went on a Twitter thing like, I miss my friend, I love you, I'll see you soon. I'll put over your kid as soon as I can in wrestling, which is just a beautiful thing to do. Eric Rowan showed up on that Dynamite to pay respect. Uh, it's just heartbreaking. Um, so Tough rest- way to end the year, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and especially because we did that whole thing, and you're like, all the- we're, we're like, all these people passed on, rest in peace, we'll, we'll love you and miss you, and then didn't think <laughs> someone else would, yeah. and someone who still was working, in theory. So, um, And that Dynamite was so emotional. Like, everyone was crying, and except for MJF, who played the big dick, of course, but that was... <laughs> kind of his role so um just rest in peace john huber from the uh that's got to be wrestling family i guess and everyone else what more i mean everyone has already said so much about the guy we didn't know him so we'll never be able to say what other people have but yeah it sucks we wanted to talk about that here because we're doing an AEW pay-per-view and yeah. we'll be discussing him the first time we'll discuss the guy in wrestling he'll be deceased which yeah. is just, just insane kind of which insane i mean think. i guess is very symbolic of how we're how this podcast is going to go moving forward because i feel like we're about to get into a lot of content with you know going into the 80s that i mean most of those people like i mean i hate to say it but most of them aren't alive and you know a lot of them it's kind of this weird taboo thing that's not discussed in wrestling and i feel like i've discussed very much at length when writing about wrestling um and doing a ton of research that it you know a lot of these 
you know, wrestlers pass on, like, way before their time. Um, you know, unfortunately for John, it was, you know, not really anything related other than just, like, his health condition in general. Um, but a lot of these wrestlers, like, have issues that directly stem from their career as a wrestler. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. It's kind of, like, this weird, like... Uh, almost like dark symbolism of like what's to come for you know this podcast I know. it's crazy to think um but yeah so we'll be getting to john huber shortly um both of course as luke harbour mostly Brody lee in the yeah and um uh, but not not today unfortunately so we just wanted to say that normally we're gonna have like a new news segment and, like a couple of news stories that we want to go over but i felt this was but that was the like most... basically basically it yeah the really <laughs> cool thing the, wrestling. the last thing on john huber that i thought was just beautiful so the Dark Order all have like numbers, like mm -hmm. number five, number six, number 10. And his son, he's been calling negative one, which I think is just adorable. And after Dynamite went off the air, I don't know, two weeks ago or whatever, Kenny, or three weeks ago, whatever, Kenny Omega got him in the ring and let him pin him. And Justin Roberts, the announcer, actually announced Brody Lee Jr. as the new AEW world champion. And that was like right before. John Huber died, so yeah. I think that is just so, like, as you like to say, chef's kiss. Chef's so. kiss. Okay, well, on to yes. Double or Nothing. We're gonna we're gonna stop being sad. We're gonna we're gonna move on, um, and we're gonna get to the show. So there was a pre-show. It's called the Buy-in, which I think is a beautiful, awesome name that they use instead of like pre-show. It's the Buy-in. So we get a battle royal, which I know is all Olivia's favorites because she loves multi-person matches. Um, this one's actually really interesting though. So you pull. Um, they're doing this whole casino. It's called the Casino Battle Royal. And you pull a card. So there's four suits, of course, in cards. There's spades, diamonds, hearts, and clubs. Um, and if you pull that, then you get a certain entrance. So there's five people who are clubs, five people who are diamonds, five people who are hearts, five people who are spades, and then one's the Joker. He's the last entrant. So let me just go through the 21 people in this Battle Royal real quick, Okay. We've got Maxwell Jacob Friedman, MJF, um, Dustin Thomas, who is a wrestler who does not have legs. Apparently at three years old, he had had a spine injury or something of, of the sort, and he had amputated, and he's a professional wrestler, which is just so goddamn inspiring, Like, <laughs> and that's pretty amazing. He's in this, in this battle royal. Um, Sunny Days, Brandon Cutler, Michael Nakazawa. Brian Pillman Jr., which is the son of a legend. Yeah, yeah, Brian Pillman. Um, Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn, both of Private Party. Jimmy Havoc, Joey Janela, Sean Spears, the former Ty Dillinger. Uh, Billy Gunn, we're discussing on this, old WWF legend. Yeah. Um, Glacier, WCW wrestler. <laughs> uh, Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. Um, Ace Romero. Orange Cassidy. Luchasaurus. Marco Stunt. Sunny Kiss, Tommy Dreamer, ECW legend. Yeah, there you go. And then the Joker went to Adam Page, um, who was the eventual winner. This was a really fun battle royal. Um, some really fun moments are MJF beating up Dustin Thomas, the man we mentioned, the amputee we mentioned, and calling him Lieutenant Dan, which just proves that MJF is just a fucking dick, and I love everything to do with him. Um, really fun spots going um, in the match, such as Jimmy Havoc putting out a cigarette in Joey Janela's face. Uh, and then bringing out a staple gun and stapling Tommy Dreamer's face and then stapling him in the nutsack. Uh, there was the spot where Marco Stunt, who was like three foot one on a good day, got yeeted into another dimension by uh, Ace Romero, who's like 400 pounds. 
And then Luchasaurus murdering Joey Janela by chokeslamming him out of the ring, through a table, right onto his neck, which looked horrible. Um, and then, as I mentioned, Adam Page wins the match by eliminating uh, MJF at the end, which was great. Yeah. So um, this match was a lot of fun. We're not yeah. going to really grade it. Um, but kind of a fun, innovative battle royal that we haven't seen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think my favorite part about it was just kind of the way that it was structured. Um, I mean, I liked the whole concept to begin with. But then also, I love how AEW intermixed some, I mean, some notable legends in there, you know, from all different programs. Mm -hmm. And I think they did it really intelligently just because it was the perfect amount of shtick, perfect amount of camp with these legends, but not in a way that, like, is trying to convince you in any way that they're going to win. Because they're not, obviously. But it's fun to have those names in there. It's fun to have those types of people in there. Like, for example, when Tommy Dreamer came in with the lid of the trash can and just, like, <laughs> obliterated everybody with the lid. Like, that is, like, you know, calling back to, like, you know, wrestling of years past. Um, but without it being too, like, overbearing or, like, you know, trying to punch nostalgia down your throat. Which is what WWE does. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And they, like... Who they, wants Goldberg? <laughs> exactly. So I thought that this was just fun... Um, yeah, I'm not going to give it a grade, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was, it wasn't boring by any means. No. So this match, when I first watched it a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, Jesus Christ, um, this is the first time I ever saw Orange Cassidy and I fell in love with the guy immediately because if you don't know Orange Cassidy, he's known <laughs> as sloth wrestling, which means he's like super lazy, not in real life. Like the, the way he's able to wrestle like this non-caring person actually takes a lot of talent in a weird way. So he does these lazy kicks as if he like just barely swings his foot into you. Um, and we got a nice little spot where he does like the kicks to Tommy Dreamer and the crowd goes ballistic as if they somehow hurt. But it's like just a shin tap, like yeah. nothing's actually going down. So I think I love it so much because that type of wrestling for whatever, whatever reason makes like other people in the wrestling industry like really mad. Jim Cornette yeah, gets like, pissed. Yeah, like just so <laughs> mad for like no reason. And I mean... I almost want to turn around and say, like, I've seen worse in wrestling before. Like, way worse. Right. And, like, this is actually something that's, like, pseudo-innovative. Jim Cornette. very get, funny. Yeah, hilarious. And, like, no one else does it. Yeah, And Jim exactly. Cornette gets so mad at this thing, at Orange Cassidy especially, which I don't get because Jim Cornette was a manager back in the day whose whole shtick was to be campy and get beat up in the most yeah. ridiculous way. What's different aside from the fact that he can wrestle and you can't? <laughs> Beside exactly. the point, Orange Cassidy. Anyways, added, yeah, Orange Cassidy had a main twenty twenty. I think it's, it's. I'll leave it at this. It's impressive when somebody that who has their hands in their pockets is able to go from a full, fully laying down position all the way upright to a kip. He can do a tope suicida yeah. with his hands in his pockets. In his pockets. <laughs> <laughs> so Orange Cassidy's great. Um, Adam Page is also great. Like I said, Hangman won the match. So we get a, the second match. I guess the pre-show main event, if you want to call it that. Um, with Superbad Kip Sabian taking on uh, the Spanish Fly, also known as Justin Bieber's uh, doppelganger, Sammy Guerva. It was a fun flip de do match, as I like to call it. These guys were getting a lot of uh, flipping spots in. Uh, real, the ending was a really nasty spot where Guerva goes for a 630, but uh, Sabian gets the knees up and hits the Deathly Hollows and wins. Another fun match. Again, we're not going to grade it, but good job yeah. on both these men. I like... Uh, you know, normally, I feel like normally WWE doesn't do this. I feel like they normally just do, like, a singular, like, pre-show match. Mm -hmm. And so I like I like how they bolstered it with, like, a couple of matches. Yeah. 
um, that just made it made the pre-show feel more fulfilling in a way. Right, and you know, what's pointless? Yeah, and what I didn't mention was the the battle royal is set up to. Um, the winner of that faces the winner of the main event, which we'll get to later in the very first AEW World Title match. So to spoil, to show our hand earlier, Chris Jericho wins the main event. So at the next AEW pay per view, it's Chris Jericho versus Adam Page for the AEW World Championship. So it is a big deal. Yeah. And then we get a weird promo with all the elite guys. So it's Kenny Omega, um, Cody Rhodes, Brandy Rhodes, and the Young Bucks who super kick a guy in the back. So this is the very first super kick in AEW history. Well, actually not. We covered Dynamite, so there were super kicks on that. But technically the first, like in timeline-wise. Then they all come out, and they're all interrupting each other, but they're really happy that everyone's there. Brandy Rhodes is on her first of three wardrobe changes for the night. Yeah, very extra, you know. (laughs) And and then then it cuts away, and we go to the main show, which was just... It was... Like, I'm glad they're all there, but it was really strange. Like, not well put together. I don't think anyone knew what they were doing. (laughs) But it was really... I mean, to be fair, anytime, like... Vince and Stephanie and Shane all come out in the ring. I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's true. So, <laughs> good point. Um, but they're they're hyping up the crowd. Like, yeah. get ready for double or nothing. By the way, if you hear me um, flipping papers, it's because on any AEW event, since I can't, we don't have cable, I can't watch it on my TV. I have to hook up my laptop to the TV to watch it. So I have to take notes the old-fashioned way. On physical so, paper. Yeah, which is very archaic. So, brings me back to the old Attitude Era. <laughs> So on to the May show, the May show, the main show. Um, we get our our uh, commentary crew. Sorry, um, Alex Morez, um, Excalibur, and the legendary announcer, good old Jim Ross, which is just a great team. Um, Alex Morez is fine. I'm really glad they replaced him with Tony Schiavone down the road. Um, so that's our announced team for the day. We open up our very first match. It's SoCal uncensored. They fallen angel Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky. All three of guys I met when they were here in Champagne, which was really cool. Um, every girl I worked with really wanted to fuck Scorpio Sky. So if you're listening, Scorpio, um, you're really hot according to the women I know. So uh, taking on the Stronghearts, which are wrestlers from China. Um, there's Chima, T Hawk, and El Lindeman. None of these people I have heard of before, um, but pretty impressive in this match, as we'll get to. So. Um, SCU comes out and Christopher Daniels starts singing Don't Stop Me Now, which I can't believe I'm saying this, is going to be the first of two Queen references on this show. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and Christopher Daniels is also like 400 years old. I am That dude has been wrestling for 28 years, babe. That is a long career wrestling. Like him and Jericho around the same time. Uh, anyway, uh, Chima and Daniels start the match off. They're both super old. I think they're both in like their late 40s at this point. Um, but they don't look like they missed a step. They're very quick on the offense. Uh, we get some quick tags, a lot of the offense from all six men. Uh, T-Hawk cracks Scorpio Sky with a high-impact powerbomb. Lots of triple-team moves by SCU, cutting off El Lindemann from his corner. Uh, before you know it, T-Hawk and Shima take out each member of SCU, hitting Kazarian with a massive chop and turning Sky inside out with a dropkick to the knee. The Stronghearts then take a page out of SCU's book by hitting triple-team moves, Topped off with a knee um, to the face and a deadlift German suplex combo. More spots where everyone hits each other with offense. I mean, it goes on for like four or five minutes. We get the classic, what do you call it, the everyone spot. Where there's everyone is just waiting for someone to fly over the top ropes. Uh, And then Daniels uh, ends the match by hitting Lindemann with the best Meltzer ever. Which is a really funny knock at Dave Meltzer, the uh, wrestling critic. To end the match, so the very first 
technical, excuse me, I just burped. We're live, <laughs> folks. The very first technical AEW match ends with SoCal Uncensored winning. Olivia, what do we think? Um, I thought this was like a super interactive match. Uh, it was extremely fast tempo. Uh, what I immediately noticed that stuck out to me, um, and this, this can, th I know that this wasn't just this match because it continues on with the rest of the tag matches that we have on later in the show, where AEW's rules on like tag matches are just kind of slightly different than that of WWE, where I feel like WWE like really harps on the whole like, Make sure you're like you. The audience always sees you tagging in and tagging out, and like that tag is like very apparent. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a lot of tandem wrestling going on in this match, so um, it felt like that sort of like tagging was very unimportant, which I kind of really like because yeah. I'm like, it's a tag match regardless. Who fucking cares? Like, there's two teams. You know, as long as they're not like trying to wrestle the other person on their team, like who gives a fuck? Yeah. Um. So that's what I really liked about that. But overall, I'm gonna give this like a three point five out of five. Um. Definitely a bold opener, and it was like a strong start to the show. So. Yeah. No pun intended, because strong hearts. Yeah. <laughs> um. I was surprised and happily surprised with all the strong hearts competitors in this match. Again, I had never heard of them before watching this. Um. But they're all very good. Chima's apparently a legend. I would love to see more of his work. Um, SCU I'm incredibly familiar with, especially because they're from Southern California, which, I don't know if you know this, that's where I'm from. Yeah. So, I gave it a 3.5 out of 5 as well. Strong opener. Uh, Christopher Daniels is ageless, even though he looks 100. And I really, uh, listen, I love Christopher Daniels. The dude looks old. Um, but yeah, I really like this match. Very, like I said, very, 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 very strong opener. We then move on to the very first women's match in AEW history. So it's a triple threat match between Smiley Kylie Ray, which I love that nickname. Uh, you hate that? I hate it. Uh, well, she's basically Bailey, face Bailey, but Smiley Kylie Ray is her name. Uh, the the uh, <laughs> the Beast Nyla Rose and Dr. Britt Baker DMD, which is the best name in all of wrestling. All three women enter, and we get Ali on commentary who. We'll get through her journey in AEW, but she goes from, like, this face who hates Brandy Rhodes to, like, this really dark character, the bunny. Then Brandy Rhodes' tag team partner, and then back to the bunny. She's on commentary. She's very awkward. She doesn't really know how to... Doesn't add much. No, but... Good for, I like. write home about. Yeah, I like Allie. She's just not a very good commentator. Um, and then Brandy Rhodes appears in her second wardrobe change of the night in yes. full wrestling gear. And she's just like, I said you would have... All three of you would have a chance to win this match. But you might not win. And she starts to saunter through the ring as if she's about to wrestle. And then she says, I have an awesome surprise for you. And I had forgot that it was Awesome Kong that she brings out, who is just a fucking legendary female wrestler. Um, but yeah, Awesome Kong's here. And Awesome Kong is a badass. Amazing Kong back in Japan. Awesome Kong in the States. And it is now a fatal four-way match between these four women. Uh, Kong... Shrugs off early offense um, by all three of the triple team. She knocks Nyla Rose down with a punch. Both big women are then tossed to the outside, and we get some uh, nice wrestling between Ray and Baker. Then Kong gets back in, catches a diving Brit Baker, only to get taken out by uh, a Tope Suicida. Suicida, that's a really hard thing to say, from uh, Smiley Kylie Ray. I'm going to say her full wrestling name just to get you to shake your head like that. It, it fills me with glee. Uh... Ray then makes her way to the top rope, and we get a monster Tower of Doom that takes out everybody except for Awesome Kong. Kong then gets rocked by two super kicks, our first two super kicks of the night. 
uh, and eats a spear from Rose into the steps, which takes out Kong for the rest of the match. Back in the ring, uh, Ray battles uh, the uh, Ray rattles the Doctor's brain with another super kick. Baker then eats the or Baker then ends the match. I don't know why I said eats. Um, after another super kick and a neckbreaker for the win, so Doctor Britt Baker, DMD, gets the first win in female AEW history. And Olivia, what do we think? Apparently, you don't like Kylie or Smiley Kyla Ray, but <laughs> I just don't think. I mean, she's a good. Uh, okay, well, I take that back. <laughs> Let me gather my thoughts here. <laughs> um, I first of all, I want to say that I feel like. I'm not surprised that Britt won this match because she kind of carried the whole match. Um, so I've got a few problems with this match. So let me break it down. So initially, I liked the, the triple threat idea. I Don't get me wrong. Love the idea that they brought in Awesome Kong. Legendary. Amazing. But I feel as though if you were going to have Britt win the match anyways, having Awesome Kong in there most of the time to just like obliterate and murder everybody for most of the time and then not win, like, really kind of doesn't make sense, and, like, even though Britt won, it doesn't make her look super strong, um, so it, 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 it's okay, and I think that for the major parts of the match that did have a ton of wrestling, mostly involved Kylie and Britt, and when it did, you know, Britt really kind of carried the whole match, she was basically calling everything, um, and it was very apparent because, you know, Kylie seemed very hesitant, uh, and she just had quite a few missteps, I mean, don't get me wrong, her, her enthusiasm about the whole thing um, definitely <laughs> made it less apparent that she, like, had no idea what she was doing. But regardless, um, this match was okay. I gave it a 3 out of 5 just because of those few missteps. Um, I, I would have loved, if you were going to have this whole match where you have the big women dominate most of the match, I think that I would have liked to have seen Awesome Kong or Nyla Rose win instead of Britt. Um, cause that just would have made more sense, but you know, whatever, that's not my decision. I'm not, I'm not calling the shots. I'm not, you know, making these matches. Um, but I do have one point of contention that I'm like sort of confused about because early when you were earlier, when you were saying who was in the match, you had said the beast Nyla Rose, but in actuality, she's the native beast. The na I was trying to read my note and I was like, what was her nickname? That's why I just native said the beast. Native beast. And this is what throws me. Is that they, they mentioned on commentary, I believe it was JR says that she is actually Native American. Mm -hmm. And it's very apparent by her wardrobe and by her name and by her whole performance, really, that she's supposed to be representing a Native American. Um, I would love to, like, sit down with somebody like her and ask her, like, was this your idea? Was this somebody else's idea? Because I feel as though, you know, we as a society are kind of past the whole point of, like, the whole, like, native beast thing. But if that is all of her own creation, then that's awesome. Great for her. But I feel like it's not. It, so, it actually is. She used to use that the native gimmick on the independence before AEW. So it's interesting. It's, it's definitely an interesting you know, persona to have. And to, so it's it's kind of this weird contention between, you know, actual Native Americans reclaiming that and making, you know, the, the collaboration of, like, Native Beast as your descriptor something positive rather than something negative. Right. I think it's just, it's it's strange and makes me makes me very curious. Okay. Well, she is a big gal. I mean, let's not take that away from her. She is, she is big and 
total badass, by the way. Yeah, um, I, so. don't, I just don't think that it would it would take anything away from her if she just went by like the beast. The beast. Um, well, I think I Brock Lesnar's already got that in. I don't think like <laughs> the native beast necessarily like using that as your adjective mm-hmm. necessarily adds anything because like like I said before, you know, just based on the fact that she's wearing you know tans and turquoise, like I get the whole vibe that she's Native American to be right. with. So it's interesting. But regardless, what did you think? Um, I like the match a lot. Um, I am very familiar with Awesome Kong. She is great from her work in Japan to TNA. We'll totally scrub away that she worked in WWE for a few <laughs> days, basically. Um, and so Vince was like, oh, she's pregnant and she's fat, so get her out of here, borrow. Like, okay. Um, but she's a fucking legend, dude. And yeah, she is totally. awesome. And um, no pun intended on that. Um, I like Kylie Ray. Um, I've only seen a handful of matches with her, but she's super quick on her feet. Um, I love Dr. Britt Baker, um, mostly for character and not so much for wrestling ability because she's just like okay. She's okay. But um, I just love that character so much. You know, I, before I move on, I just want I just want to make this very clear that it's I'm not trying to like purposefully be very critical of women's matches. I just feel as though if you're a new company and you don't have all this baggage of you know sexism and misogyny and using women as objects and having women who are models rather than actual wrestlers wrestle in a wrestling match, I feel like because you don't have all that baggage, that my standards for your women's roster is sort of so much higher. And I've been, so I guess, say pseudo-disappointed with the AEW women's roster generally. Oh, you and everyone else, um, I think. I think that it could be much stronger. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, Brandy has such a hand in this company herself, I feel like, you know, it kind of surprises me that there's not a stronger women's roster. That could change, uh, but for now, and I feel like for the foreseeable future when we catch up on all these shows and talk about them, I'm not trying to be negative on purpose just because I specifically am a fan of women's wrestling and have just high standards for women's wrestling anyways. It's just that I I already know what I'm going into, so, mm-hmm. um, and it's not like I'm any less negative about wwe women so it's i'm not trying to play favorites right not having any sort of favoritism but i just want to make that clear before we move forward well, I in think, all these AEW shows i think the problem is while the wrestling is very good between the women in AEW, like we'll get to matches with hakura shida and like Britt baker of course and um now we got abaddon who's like fucking awesome uh the mat and nyla rose is great um the matches are always good it's the build and the stories yeah, the presentation of the product right, like, that where they kind of fall through. Right, yeah. I can see Hikuru Shida and Riho go at it. That's yeah. awesome, but what's the story? And they never tell you one. Yes, thank you. So that's thank the problem you. with yes. the AEW's women's exactly. division. Whereas, like, the WWE's women's division always has a story, usually a captivating one, not always. But the wrestling is always kind of, eh, even though the wrestlers are great. It's, it's not, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so far from what it used to be in the... I think you're a bitch, so I'm going to fight you. I also think you're a bitch. We should have, a, like, a pillow ma- match. Like, let's do that in bikinis. Oh, God, I can't wait to get to those. Oh, WrestleMania God. 19, it was on a WrestleMania. Who's excited? Oh. Uh, anyway, I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. I thought okay. it was I thought it was a good match. Um, Smiley Kylie Ray 100% has Bailey's old gimmick, as I mentioned. Oh, totally. But I thought we had a very um, solid match here. Um, however, it's going to get trumped by another women's match later exactly. down the road. So our third match of the night, at least on the main card, is uh, the Best Friends 
best friends, sorry, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta taking on Hybrid 2. They actually weren't called Hybrid 2 back then, but I wrote Hybrid 2. Um, and Helico and Jack Evans. And first thing I noticed as both teams made their way to the ring, there is a lot of neon green in this match. Lots of it. Like, no one coordinated on this. And someone was like, listen, we wear neon green, so maybe you guys should go to, like, your red or something like that. Like, you got a red attire, right? And no, just everyone on neon green. And I don't know if you noticed this as well, but the entrance ramp um, during the match had, like, lights on it. And the lights were fucking neon green. So all I saw throughout this whole match, with a dude with astigmatism and already, like, a fucking wandering eye, just nothing but neon green in this match. But anyway, I still like the match, so we'll get to it. Uh, there is... That there is a lot of shit talking on Jim Ross about traditional tag team wrestling, which I thought was kind of weird because he grew up in a traditioning traditional wrestling environment. So I think he's talking more crap on like WWE, but he never actually says that. Yeah. So it just sounds like he's talking shit on the wrestling that he prefers. Um, but there's no more five count. Like once you tag someone in, the the person you just tagged out has a five count to get out of the ring. Now it's a ten count, so you can get more offense in. Another rule they just completely abandoned, by the way. Like. Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta were in the ring for like 20 seconds before one of them got out of it. Beside the point. Uh, the best friends start out trying to give each other a hug, but it's broken up with drop kicks from the other team. Trent almost goes down to a massive kick combo and tandem 450 splash. Chuck Taylor hits a standing sliced bread on the outside to Angelico. Uh, we get the best friends hug finally, and the crowd goes insane because the best friends are awesome and they love each other. And they hug each other. Orange Cassidy is also a member of this group, just not for this match, unfortunately. Uh, Evans launches off the back of Angelico onto Trent and hits uh, a six a, a six thirty splash. God, that is hard to say. Um, but the win is broken up at two point nine by Chuck Taylor. Breath friends who then hit a doomsday knee device, which is like a doomsday device, but instead of clotheslining someone off the shoulders, he hits a knee instead. And a stomp tag team cruncher for the win. Then the teams go to do a respect handshake, but Trent and Chucky e. T are having none of it. They say, you hug us instead, we want a hug. And so they all go in for a hug, and as soon as they do, the lights go out and they come back on, and Evil Uno and Stu Grayson are in the ring, um, formerly known as the Super Smash Brothers on the independent scene. Now they're the pseudo Dark Order before the Dark Order. Um, lights go out again, and then there's like 15 more masked men on the outside, and everyone beats up on the tag teams that were in the match. And we get our first appearance of the Dark Order, which kind of goes hand-in-hand hand yeah. with our Brody Lee conversation earlier. But Olivia, what do we th- Where the fuck are my notes? Sorry, there we go. Um, what do we think of the tag team match that we got here? Um, I thought it was like another like pretty solid uh, tag team match. Nothing like super notable that I was wowed by. Uh, however, I don't mind the fact that AEW is very tag team match friendly just because I feel like, you know, I feel like in years past and even in some wrestling programs today, like tag teams are kind of, you know, they're a part of wrestling, but like aren't the most important unless it's like a champion, you know, teaming up with somebody else to then also get the tag welts. Right. Um, so I like kind of the importance that AEW has placed on tag team matches. I definitely don't mind it. It's like it's like two of the owners are the greatest tag teams. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but then also, just kind of a side note that I noticed about this match, because I believe it's the only match that we get on this pay-per-view that has a specific time limit, which AEW continues to do. 
um, on both, you know, pay-per-views and the regular programming. Super old school. Um, which I kind of love yeah. because it just, I don't know how else to explain it other than it strengthens the tempo of the match itself because rather than, you know, being like, okay, well, you've got like, you know, say like 30-ish minutes to go out there, but if you go over or go under a little bit, it's fine, it's whatever. Um, but by saying like, you only have 30 minutes... You know, here you go. Mm -hmm. I feel like that just sort of changes the whole changes the whole mindset of the match itself. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah, totally. It's like, okay, we have a 30-minute time limit, and you're smart enough to be like, oh, they're not going to go 30 minutes. Yeah. But what if they do? Yeah. Like, yeah, I agree with exactly. you. Exactly. So it, I just feel like, you know, you, generally when we have these matches that have a time limit, it just ends up being, like, super explosive in the end, which... Um, I feel like we sort of got here, so, like, that's, that's a little so exciting, but... Again, I gave this a 3.5 out of 5 because it was exciting. I gave it the same grade. Um, super fun match. And Helico and Jack Evans, who are now known as the Hybrid 2, are kind of underutilized, um, but they're super quick, fast-paced, high-flying team. Chuck Taylor and Trent are just really fun and really goofy. Um, and I love, their, I love their gimmick of just like, we love each other, we're going to hug. Um, which is kind of similar to the Japanese team of the Golden Lovers, which was Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, who would actually kiss on the lips. And people would be like, oh, that's gay. And they'd be like, no, we're just friends. We love each other. So I'm going to kiss my friend on the lips. Which I think is just so beautiful and magical. Something you'll never see in American television. But Jap Japan, they're like, yeah, I'm going to kiss him on the lips. I don't well, give a yeah, shit. Yeah, because like, it's interesting to see how other cultures you know, express yeah. that sort of friendship. Because I, I, I can't specifically think of what country it is or like what general area. France. Um, but there is like a lot of men. And I believe it's like South Asian area, if I'm not wrong where there's just so many people that are walking around all the time. And so, like, a lot of times, like, male friends will just walk around holding hands. Because, yeah. like, you're going to get lost if you don't hold your friend's hand. And yeah. it's, not like a, it's not like a weird, stigmatized thing that we have here in the U.S. where we all have our personal little bubbles. And if you get up in our personal space, it's weird. Right. And, and I wasn't trying to make it sound like, oh, that's gay. I was saying, like... Those people that... People who are critical of it. People who are critical of it. Like, that's gay. And yeah. it's just like... Or it's just people fucking wanting to kiss each yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should start kissing my friends on the lips. But, Joey, if you're listening, <laughs> I got a surprise. I've actually done that before, hey. but beside the point. Um, sorry, Joey. Anyway, we're moving on to our fourth match of the night. Uh, our second women's match. So, bear with me on these... Um, on this, because... Lots I got a little names. jumbled on my notes of who was on the team, but I know I got this correct because I checked okay. it on Wikipedia. So we have Hakira Shida, who is actually the current AEW Women's Champion. Love her. Taking on Riho, who is, oddly enough, the first AEW Women's Champion. Not taking on, teaming with Riho. And Rio uh, Muzunami. The only one I had heard of before this was... Wow, I did not type that name out. I just completely <laughs> her name. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> well, the only one I had heard of on this team before this match was Hakira Shida. Taking on Emi Sakura, who I have heard of before, um, God, Yuka Sasaki, and this one, this is a name I knew, legendary Japanese wrestler Aja Kong, who is fucking awesome. So um, this was just a little good taste of Joshi wrestling, Japanese female wrestling, um, for the fans, you know, all the uh, elite members were part of New Japan, just like six months before this show. Yeah. So this was just a big way to get all the Japanese ladies in here. And Hakurashida is still with the company, which is awesome. This is when we get our second Freddie Mercury reference of the night because <laughs> Ami Sakura comes out 
looking exactly like like dressed mustache and everything mustache the yellow jacket the jumpsuit the microphone yeah so which was cool that's her thing and i love it um we start off the match with classic japanese wrestling style um a lot of strong style kicks and um punches and whatnot rio shows off some amazing strength for a tiny woman this girl is like 95 pounds like i'm not kidding i'm not just making a joke she's like 95 pounds um which then becomes very funny because someone thought it was a good idea to put this 95-pound woman in the match with a 200-pound woman, Aja Kong, and Aja Kong just destroys her, and it's kind of a lot of fun, and you're really hoping Rio gets out of it, but whatnot. Um, then, oh, god damn these names, man, I'm so sorry. Muzunami pantomimes um, some fun mime stuff with her um, arms and like starts to like rope her way across the ring and then hits uh, Sakazaki with a German suplex. Aja then brains Sheeta with a trash can, which out of nowhere, where was the disqualification? Oh, that was awful. Straight to the fucking dome, um, <laughs> which was funny because previous to this, they had a kendo stick versus trash can fight. Uh, we get Master versus Apprentice as Sheeta and Sakara have a massive chop battle. All six women find themselves in the match, and we get some strange miscommunications here where someone doesn't know where their spot is at. Um... It did look a little strange because everyone's hitting a move and then all of a sudden someone was like looking around like, where's my opponent? Um, which was kind of unfortunate. Then we get a very weird botch where it has nothing to do with the wrestlers themselves. This had nothing to do with the wrestler or referee Aubrey Edwards. So Sakura hits a moonsault and Sheeta kicks out at like 2.5 as yeah. you would do. Um, but the timekeeper rang the bell and then the music starts playing. And then Aubrey Edwards, who is the greatest referee in AEW history, looks at the ring, like the ring announcer, the ring keeper, annoyed, and goes, No, it's two. Because if you watch the replay, it's like, One, two, shoulder up. And then everyone's like, Why did you fucking ring the bell? Yeah. And the crowd starts chanting, You fucked up, which is normally thrown at like wrestlers. But I think this is the first time I've ever heard it thrown at a ring announcer or a ring um, keeper, which I think was pretty funny. Anyway, the match ends um, as Sheeta hits her mentor with a running knee for the win. And Olivia, what do you think? I thought this match was super fun, super campy. I love this Japanese-style wrestling. Um, I thought it was a bit interesting that they decided to put all of these Japanese women in the same match. Uh, Maybe it's because they are all very used to wrestling one another or familiar with each other's work, so maybe that's why. Um, but regardless, I just thought it was just super fun, super exciting, and, I mean, there was a couple moments that made me laugh, like, where Aja, like, spiked that trash can off of Sheeta's head. Like, that was, that was brutal. Um, and I just love, I don't know, there's just something about their style of wrestling that just doesn't, like, hold itself back at all, because, you know, with this traditional American wrestling that we've come across, especially in this modern era of WWE, when it comes to women, it's very like, oh, we do a move, and then we take a break, and then we do another move, and then we take a break, and then we do another move, but then I gotta stop and adjust my hair extension, but then we can continue. Someone's and... talking about Sasha Banks on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I was referring to Carmella, but um, I wasn't gonna name names, but anyways. So I love the fact that they're just like, they just don't give a fuck. Like, they're there to, like, actually wrestle. And, like, regardless of, like, the couple of hiccups that this match had, I thought it was, like, I I thought it was the bee's knees. Like, I was all excited. So for that, 
I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5 because I thought it was fucking awesome. I am giving it the same grade, a 4 out of 5. This Perfect. match was super fun. Um, it's a nice taste of what all these women can do. The only one I had seen wrestle numerous matches at this point was Aja Kong. Because like I said, she's a legendary Japanese wrestler. Um, but man, like a really cool showcase for Shida and Riho. Totally. Um, Emi Sakura looks great. They all, all six women looked awesome in this match. I think it was match. just like super refreshing to see the style of wrestling. Because like other than like watching, um, you know, other... Asian women and like things such as like the Mayan classic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't really get to normally see this kind of performance, so I was like, I was all jazzed about it. I was yeah. like, this is something I have never seen before, and it's, I like it's it. It's really hard for us to watch do Japan wrestling, yeah. which we can from time to time, but it's just really hard for us to do it. So when we actually get to see these women on a national state or not, a, well, yeah, I mean, a, not a national, but a worldwide stage like yeah. this, it's really awesome. It's really to be cool able to see that them. an American program is showcasing. Um, you know, other types, other types of wrestling, which I feel like doesn't get enough recognition on the right. American airwaves. So. And, and big ups to Kenny Omega for that because yeah. he's such a huge fan of this thing. He's like, I want to bring this over. These exactly. are the women that I want here. And that was due to him. And then of course, Cody, Tony Khan, Brandy and whatnot as well. Did I say my grade? I gave it a four out of five if no one heard that. Yeah. yeah okay, you, good. You gave your grade. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're moving on to our fifth match of the main card. Dustin Rhodes taking on Cody Rhodes, or as he's just known on this graphic, Cody, because it's before he got the rights to the Rhodes name. Um, and this is the match I'm calling uh, Millennial versus Gen Z match. So we've got old Attitude Era, Dustin Rhodes, formerly known as Goldust, taking on his snotty little brother, who is talented and great, but just not the same. And that's what that's what we... I'm just kidding. Um, but that is what the match we're getting. So Dustin Rhodes was released from WWE, of course, um, and he wanted to retire, and so he wanted to retire against his little brother, Cody. And what better way to do it on his little brother's very first main show like this. However, he said, I'm, I'll wrestle you, but I'm going to beat the crap out of you as I do so. So we've got this kind of like loving blood feud between brothers going on here. Just two brothers. Just two brothers. <laughs> and they said that on this show. And then you also <laughs> kind of giggled and laughed. So... <sighs> Cody Rhodes. Let's talk about Cody Rhodes for a minute. I love Cody Rhodes. He is... <laughs> I'm ready to roast the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, me too. He is so smart. He is such a talented wrestler. He is a great talker. He dresses sharp. Uh, he looks cool. He is a fucking marketing genius. He's so innovative. Yeah. Dude, you were Triple H no matter how hard you try to not be Triple H. And oh, let me explain it. why <laughs> this guy is Triple H. He gets a company, which, granted, Triple H isn't in charge of WWE, but he's in charge of NXT. Sort of. Yeah. So, he gets a company, he gets all this power, and he goes, oh, this isn't going to be like this. You know, I'm not going to have these big entrances with all these, like, that are going to take forever. Like, they do, like no 10-minute entrance like The Undertaker, no huge, ridiculous entrance like Triple H has. And then he goes and has an entrance where there's not only a throne with a cross... But a throne with an iron cross, which is Triple H's logo. Yeah. And then he gets to the ring, and then his wife hands him a sledgehammer the exact same way Triple H's wife hands him a sledgehammer. Like, holding it right in front of her face, splitting her face from the sledgehammer, which is exactly how Stephanie McMahon does it. Hands it to Cody, and then he goes and breaks this throne because he's not Triple H. It's like, again, I love Cody Rhodes, but it's... 
easily the most pretentious dude. I think it was funny because it was supposed to be like this big middle finger and they were like so happy with themselves that they like did that. (laughs) But I just had to laugh because of like, okay, I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught this or not. I I giggled a lot because, (laughs) you know, he, of course we get this big, long, like floofy entrance, you know, of the very godlike Cody. Um, But two things. It's two Um, brothers. (laughs) and it's both at the same point so he comes out donning this like very much like barbie princess and the pauper cosplay (laughs) but i guess was also supposed to allude to like the hunter help help oh god hunter hearst helmsley thank you (laughs) jesus christ apparently i just had a stroke um but yeah that whole attire where he was like this very proper like prince like type character um, which I thought was funny, but then it was also funny because it was just looked like a very like cheap replica costume <laughs> of that. Um, so I had I had a good giggle, but yeah. <laughs> so here's what I, I mean I absolutely agree with you. He was very much trying to mock the guy that he says he's not going to be, but you can't mock the guy you say you're not going to be when you do what the guy you're trying not to be does. Yeah. Like you're great. You are so good. You are so talented. Just like Triple H is so smart, so talented, so cool. But he kind of has a fucking ego about him that like, yeah, you earned it, but you come off kind of like a dick, which is what Triple H does. Yeah, like (laughs) I said, I don't think that in his position, like he would be successful if he wasn't at least like slightly Mm -hmm. narcissistic. Um, But I think it's just funny when you, you know, you build up this whole program to be the antithesis of you know other wrestling programs and then it just kind of turns out to be like sort of the same right you know which you know no knocks on them because it's still entertaining yeah uh but you know don't you know it's it's not you're not so different you and i exactly <laughs> and that's hilarious to me because triple h is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time i very much love cody rhodes he is smarter definitely more successful and way more handsome than i'll ever be so good on you man but goddamn, dude you just like you were just Triple H. Yeah. And he does this entrance all the time. Even on Dynamite, it's like, here's fucking Cody's 14-minute entrance. <laughs> what are you and doing, man? And I love man? it, too, because, like, you know, we had discussed this while we were watching it, that it's one thing to, like, start a company and say, like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be like them. But then, like, put yourself in, you know, one of the prime matches of not only this pay-per-view, but, like... Everyone. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> most of the time. And then... On top of that, like, always make, set up those matches to where, like, you win most of the time, and even when you don't win, you still look really good, uh, I think is kind of funny, because yeah. it's very... Not knocking Cody, because the Young Bucks have done it, too. Yeah, so, oh, totally, yeah. totally. And Kenny Omega didn't really do it until recently, which I love, because, you know, but beside the point, we'll get to that, all that stuff later down the road. Um, We're just very jazzed about talking about something other than WWE, yeah, I think. Yeah, so, <laughs> Cody, again, you're great, we love you. Tone down a little bit. <laughs> Tone the Triple H this down to like, you know, a four. You're at a boil. Let's bring it down to a simmer, sir. Yes, thank you. All right. So let's get into this match because as much as I just kind of crapped on Cody Rhodes, this match is fucking crapping. So let's go. Brother versus brother. Dustin, I believe, is 17 years older than Cody, which yeah. is a big, big, big age gap between brothers. They are the sons of legendary wrestler uh, Dusty Rhodes, who passed away... 2015 and uh cody has always had this chip on his shoulder that he you know 
Dusty loved Goldust more, or sorry, Dustin more, and that he could never rise to what Dustin Rhodes got to. Which doesn't make any sense, because as much as I love Goldust, and Goldust is a legend in my mind, I think Cody buying his own wrestling company and becoming a president of that far surpasses anything Goldust has ever totally. done. But again, storyline, kayfabe. So, the match starts. Uh, Cody takes his brother, takes it to his brother early um, with a drop-down fist and a tope suicida. We get some classic Goldust moves, hitting a running power bomb, some left jabs, and the 10-count corner punch. Dustin goes for Shattered Dreams, and if you don't know what Shattered Dreams is, he puts you in the current turnbuckle, spreads out your legs in between the ropes, and basically kicks you in the nuts. Get it? Huh? Um, but he misses, um, and then he goes face-first into the exposed turnbuckle. And then Brandy, out of nowhere, just spears fucking Goldust. Where was the disqualification, ref? But whatever. And um, since Goldust went... Sorry, I keep calling him Goldust. Since Dustin went face-first in the exposed turnbuckle, he is immediately covered in blood. Now, when he was Goldust, he had full gold face paint on his face. But now that he's Dustin and can't use the Goldust character anymore, he only paints half of his face. And he went with like a red and black look here. All of that paint is gone because he bladed himself so much that he is just gushing blood, like dripping blood everywhere like they do close-ups and there's just puddles of blood coming out of the mat which i love to see but i'm also incredibly disgusted by anyway um senior referee greatest referee of all time by the way earl hebner kicks brandy out of the match she argues with them and we get a fucking diamond dallas page reference or uh appearance out of nowhere and he picks up brandy and escorts her. her out of the ring yeah exactly I should also mention Brandy's third and final wardrobe change of the night, yes, by the way. exactly. Um, <laughs> Can never so, have too many outfits. Exactly. She looked great in all of them, so good for her. But also congratulations to her and Cody. They're pregnant, so yeah. awesome. Um, and then, babe, since Diamond Dallas Page is here, I have to ask you the most important question. <laughs> Do you know what a diamond upside down is? A pussy. <laughs> Ready to rumble reference if anyone's seen that <laughs> terrible movie. Um, I mentioned the next time we see Dustin, he's, ba- he's literally sweating blood off of his face it is which how he can see at this point i have no idea face paint sweat and blood all in your eyes and he's still wrestling a match and he's a 50 year old man wrestling as if he's in his 20s so uh cody opens up dustin moore with knees kicks and punches to the face um the blood i mentioned again is pouring um even when dustin counters a snap power slam cody rebounds unhooks his belt and is about to he's got a weightlifting belt on which is very heavy belts he's about to smack his brother with it but it gets intercepted and cody's bare ass makes an appearance as dustin just smacks cody's bare ass with his with his weightlifting belt and i brought up to you would you rather smack like your sibling's actual bare ass or just a random person that you work with bare ass and we both agree probably our sibling would be better uh <laughs> dustin hits a massive bloody superplex and a crossroads which is uh, Cody's finisher, but only gets a two count. Cody rebounds with a disaster kick and his own crash, crossroads, but also only gets a two count. Massive slaps between the two men, and then Cody hits a final crossroads to put his brother away. Uh, both men are covered in blood. It's all Dustin's blood. And then Cody grabs the microphone and says, at the next pay-per-view, you're not retiring because at the next pay-per-view, I signed a contract to where I get to pick a partner of my choice taking on the Young Bucks, and I don't need a tag team partner, I don't need a friend, but I need my brother, and then his voice cracks, and I kind of laughed at that, even though it was super emotional, because he's crying, and then we got a disgusting, bloody hug between the two, 
and they go off into the sunset, which was awesome. Uh, so Olivia, I'm so intrigued. What do you think? Okay, so I have to say, I thought it was a very strong match. Uh, I loved the feud. I love, I really love very interpersonal feuds like this. Uh, so I'm not going to knock him for that. The wrestling was great. But I have to say, this is, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. Uh-oh. So, give me, give me the right answer first. So, what was it, 2018 <laughs> or 2019 at WrestleMania, and it was uh, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, and that was the match that I think Roman, I don't even think, I'm like pretty sure he didn't blade himself. I'm pretty sure that was where Brock just like takes his fucking elbow and like obliterates your hairline to the point where like you start to bleed. He did the same to Randy Orton too. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then like Roman starts to bleed. What, what year was that? That was WrestleMania 34. So it was 2018. Okay. Yeah. So 2018. I was like the first time I watched that and I like refused to go back and watch that because it just grosses me out so much that just like that much blood is like pouring out of his body and just I, I don't know I just feel like it didn't improve the match in any way or didn't make it any better than it was and like that I reference that because like I said it didn't do anything to make the match better than it already was and so I feel like this is kind of the case I get the whole you know like oh I guess maybe I'm thinking too much into this but maybe it's alluding to the fact that like oh, he's bleeding, and it's, you know, it's, it's my, your brother, so it's, a, you know, a blood feud, and da-da-da, like, whatever. Um, That's exactly what it was. I just felt like, you know, it, blading is not a, you know, a precise art, and a lot of times you can cut yourself, like, way too deep, which is, like, super dangerous, not only for your health, um, but for the health of others around you, and just the fact that, like, they just got blood, like, all over the ring, and, like, at that point, I'm just, like, really, I'm not focused on the wrestling at all anymore. I'm just, like, focused on, like, how much he's, like, getting blood everywhere and how they've got blood all over each other. And so, long story short, I don't think it adds anything to the quality of the wrestling. I understand the, the storyline aspect to it, but I think at this point, like, I've, I mean, obviously I didn't live this, but I've gone back and I've watched so many matches you know, like Mick Foley, Undertaker, Kane, like whoever, you know, bleeding like a stuck pig. Like I've I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen, I've, I know what bleeding is. I've seen it all before. It's nothing that, you know, jazzes me up other than like making me angry. Um, so I think that it's just kind of silly and kind of pointless. Um, so for that, I kind of knocked it a little bit. If there wasn't so much blood, I probably would have given this a 4 out of 5, but because it was so distracting, I had to knock it to, like, a 3.5. Um, so, yeah, that's my super controversial opinion about this match. Man, we're gonna we're gonna have some words when we get to, like, the old yeah. Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes things where, like, literally yeah. both men are covered in blood. What about Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13 with Bret Hart where he's in the sharpshooter and just blood's running Again, down his face? Again, super and, like, tasteless. Like, I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where... Again, I've seen it before. Um, It brings nothing new Mm. to what I see as a wrestling fan. Well, you you hit the nail on the head with Blood Feud. I mean, it's a Blood Feud between brothers, and they're also paying homage to their dead dad. Yeah, and I I totally understand that. I totally get it. That's what I loved about it. But, like, thanks, but no thanks. They said they're going to wrestle their style. So Goldust obviously has that more 90s 
early 2000s style and Cody's got the more modern style while also paying homage to their dad's 70s and 80s style. I think it was just a, like a culmination of this family's wrestling style, whether it be 70s, 80s, 90s to today with a lot of blood and a lot of fighting and a lot of anger because no one can beat your ass the way either your brother or sister or best friend can. Like, I feel like if my best friend and I got in a fight, it would just be like, no one can get you that way. And then we'd go out and have a beer afterwards, which is what the brothers do here. Well, totally. Uh, I just, like, like I said, I, I love that you mentioned how they were, you know, trying to conglomerate all these different types of wrestling styles, paying homage to, like, their dad and, you know, their family's history. And, like, that's awesome. And, like, of course, blading is going to be part of that. But I just feel like it was in so much excess that it distracted me from, like, what was actually happening in the match. Because, like, as soon as he started bleeding everywhere, I, like, honestly, like, I couldn't tell you what happened after that. Like, other than, like, who won, like, I just was distracted the whole time. I guess it's a good thing I do the play-by-play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm JR, you're Jerry Lawler. Exactly. <laughs> have, fun, have fun sexually assaulting women there, Jerry Lawler. Oh, God. Um, Anyways. Well, I gave this match a 5 out of 5. Of I think it is a perfect wrestling match. And okay. even, it's mostly through, I'd say it's 80% story, 20% wrestling. And that's what made it so perfect. And I love this match. And I love Dusty. Dusty? Well, I love Dusty. And I love Dustin. And I love Cody for going through this. And I don't think Cody bled at all. <laughs> it was all his brother's blood. But speaking of, speaking of uh, you know, story and telling the story and building this feud, I thought, I was actually pleasantly surprised for how good of quality the match was. For, like, how little, like, I mean, they did have a promo package, which they showed many times mm-hmm. leading up to this match. And it kind of sucks because, you know, you you have the potential to have all this footage of, you know, wrestling in years past, but because it's all WWE, you can't use it. And right. you pointed that out to me when we were watching it. And so you've kind of got this, like, you know, no, I don't want to say that it's shoddy because I don't want to, you know, give AEW any knocks or anything. But, you know, very limited footage of them practicing together. Um, or, you know, training by themselves, and I think that that just, like, it sucks, because, like, then, you know, imagine how good that promo package would have been had they been able to use all of their old footage. Right. Well, I mean, one thing that WWE has majorly over AEW is their promos, their promo packages, leaps and bounds better than oh, AEW. totally. WWE has the best editors and footage, pe- like, people that find footage on the planet, and AEW, I don't think does. <laughs> so that... Help like if WWE would have put this package together, that thing would have been fucking incredible. Oh yeah. But with the limited amount they were able to do, I mean, they did an okay job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will be on record right now saying, along with William Regal, and Mister Perfect Kurt Hennig, that Dustin Rhodes, Goldust, whatever you want to call him, are the greatest people, greatest wrestlers to never win a world championship. They are. uh, And don't give me fucking Kurt Hennig won the AWA world title in like nineteen eighty four. No one gives a shit. AWA is not around. Like, I mean, like a major championship like that. So, God, Dustin Rhodes is great. But anyway, I'm going to stop sucking the, the Rhodes dicks over here. Um, also, I love the, because Dustin Rhodes' name before he was Goldust was the natural Dustin Rhodes. And then Cody Rhodes is the night or the American Nightmare because his dad was the American Dream. So he got Nightmare versus Natural. That was also a really smart thing to do. So, and then they called it a dream match because the American Dream. This is really good storytelling. And... Very lo- yeah, I, it doesn't do it so much anymore because I've seen the match. But the first time I saw it, it brought like a little tear to my eye. And I mentioned before, I would love to just go out there with my brother and just beat the living 
shit out of him and each other, like, just to kind of get it out, and which I'm sure they kind of did here. It was probably very therapeutic, like, in a weird way, right? Like, yeah. hey, I'm going to have... be able to just, like, yeet each other around the ring. Exactly. It's like, you know... <laughs> you should do that with your sisters, so I'm sure you would win. Um, anyway, we're moving on. We get the AEW Championship um, showing or presentation. So, obviously, the title will not be on the line here because, as I mentioned, Adam Page will take on the winner of Jericho Omega later. Um, but they're going to present the championship. And the person presenting it out of nowhere is Brett the Hitman Hart. <laughs> so, Randomly. which was kind of cool. I mean, yeah. he's a fucking legend. He is literally, like, they call him the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. It's hard to argue that. He comes out and he's about to present it, but he brings out Adam Page first. He's like, here's the winner of that, uh, that battle royal. He'll take on the winner of the main event later. And before he is able to present it, MJF comes out. And starts talking a lot of shit. Um, he starts calling Adam Page Seabiscuit and asking him if he wants a sugar cube. And that was hilarious. Um, because Adam Page is like, you know, a cowboy and whatnot. Um, and then he brings up, he goes, oh, Brett, there's a fan. And then he starts laughing. Which is a callback to the Hall of Fame from the WrestleMania of that same year, mind you. Where Bret Hart and his uh, niece, Natalia, were in the ring uh, inducting Jim Neidhart into the Hall of Fame. The late Jim Neidhart. And a random fan out of nowhere tackled Bret Hart to the ground. For whatever reason. And then, which why would you do that in a room full of wrestlers? Keep in mind, the first row was filled with not only Ronda Rousey, MMA badass, but her MMA badass husband, who just started beating the shit out of this dude. Beside the point, MJF got a little crack in there. Um, And then Adam Page and Jungle Boy and Jimmy Havoc out of nowhere... Just beat the crap out of MJF, and Bret Hart awkwardly takes the AEW title out and holds it up in a weird way, and we got the presentation. What do you think of the title belt since we've seen it? Um, now? very like um, I don't know, like I, I might be referencing the wrong belt, but very like early two thousands intercontinental title. Are you thinking of the? Are you thinking belt. of the world heavyweight title from the two thousands? Mm, like big goldie? So, no, not so much. That one. That one's a lot bigger. And I feel like it has a lot more finer detail that you don't necessarily see from far away. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'm just referencing the wrong belt. But regardless, it's okay. It's, okay. it's, I mean, gl- I it's just, glittery. Yeah, it's a lot of gold. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of it, but hey, Growing Pains, it's a new company. You know. I mean, to be fair, to say that I like really any belt is kind of silly. I've never... I've, other than like some a couple of specific ones that I can name that I can like outwardly say that I like love. I mean, I just, I don't really care. I think main WWE has some like at this moment. I think I hate every single belt main WWE has except for like the world title, which is like the black WWE thing. That's like the only nice one because they ruined the Intercontinental title. I don't know. I kind of like I kind of like the women's tag belts. I oh I that's like true. Those yeah, those are very nice. They're yeah. kind of they're one of the only ones I guess that aren't like color coded. Yeah. Um, for brand and so I don't know. I think they're kind of like classic looking. You're very right. Cool. They're, those are very nice yeah, belts. But regardless, it's, it's it's an okay belt. Yes. Nothing, nothing to write home about. Nothing to write home about. The tag belts in AEW are nice. We'll get to that eventually. Speaking of tag teams, uh, we're getting uh, our tag team main event, is yeah. what they call it. The Young Bucks, Nick and Matt Jackson, taking on the Lucha Brothers, uh, which are Pentagon Jr. or Pentagon El Zero, which is what it used to be known as, and Ray Phoenix. For the AAA Tag Team Championships, which is a uh, promotion in Mexico, the Young Bucks went to Mexico and beat the Lucha Brothers for these AAA Tag Team titles. And so there is, uh, we used this term already, but there's a blood feud 
going on between these two. And it's it's really cool because it's a tag team of brothers taking on a tag team of the brothers. brothers. Which is really... They showed like a tell of the tape. It's just two brothers. <laughs> um, damn, second Rick and Morty reference and it's the same joke. Uh, they showed a tell of the tape and like the ages of... Because Pentagon Jr. and Matt Jackson are the same age. And then Ray Phoenix and Nick Jackson are the younger brothers and they're a year apart. They're basically the same height, basically the same weight. It's a very um, good contendership we have exactly. going on here. Um, yeah, exactly. Lucha Brothers, of course, from Mexico. Uh, Young Bucks are from Rancho Cucamonga, California. Um, Southern, well, California used to be part of Mexico. Southern California is very much um, familiar with Mexican heritage and whatnot as well. So kind of a lot of similarities between these yeah. two. We're going to play a new game on this show, which we'll do at the end of the match. But I'm going to let you guys know here. So any Young Bucks match is going to drive me fucking insane and make me regret doing a super kick counter. Because the Young Bucks, all they do is super kicks. Like 95% of their offense is super kicks. I kind of love it though. So do I. Um, obviously, super kick party, it's great. So what I did was instead of writing down the super kicks like in the notes, I have a few here. I just did a tally over to the left of my paper. Don't look at it. Um, and I'll add that to the tally at the end of the show. Okay. But what I want to ask you is when we get done with the match, how many super kicks do you think happened in this match all right did you already see the number on my paper i didn't know okay, i have a good guesstimate okay so we get two awesome entrances the uh lucha brothers are decked out in full lucha gear mexican flags uh they just look awesome like the old mexican skulls that they have on are really cool young bucks come out since we're in las vegas naturally the young bucks are dressed as elvis presley with the flair and the rhinestones. I giggled so hard at that because <laughs> they literally came out looking like they robbed an Elvis Presley impersonator <laughs> costume store. And I just thought it was just super campy and so funny. So, so Young Bucks. So perfect, yeah. yeah. Um, this is going to be a very fast and furious match. So I am not going to hit every note on here. Good God. A lot happened in yeah. this match. <laughs> Watch the match. And that's going to be the, the thing with any Young Bucks match. There's just so much that happens in their match. Just watch the matches, because they're always 99% of the time great. Uh, we get just one-upsmanship right off the bat. Everyone's trying to one-up each other. We get the older brothers in the ring first. They tag in their younger counterparts, and they try and one-up each other. We get a double super kick by the Lucha Brothers onto Matt, and then some more double-team moves onto Nick. The Bucks get control with their patented tag-team offense, keep the Lucha Brothers guessing during the match. Phoenix does this thing. Ray Phoenix is holding Nick Jackson who is tied up in the ropes and then he's holding Matt Jackson and he does like nine springboards between the two because one is on one corner, one is on the other. Hits one with a kick, springboards down to the bottom rope, back up to the top rope on the other side and then Huracarana's Matt Jackson into the... Like, how the fuck are you like, I can do that? Who the fuck thinks like, I can do that? What? <laughs> it's incredible. Like, I just watch it. Just watch the match. Uh, we get some dual springboards into sharpshooters from the Young Bucks, which was really cool. Massive three-way super kick sees all four brothers go down to the ring. It's just four brothers. So <laughs> uh, we get a double destroyer, which leads to a Penta driver and the Escalada from the Lucha Brothers, but they only get a two count. Uh, we get another springboarding Ray Phoenix as he eats a double super kick. And then there's a near fall city as they hit so many double team moves. And then they just keep getting broken up or kicked out of. Excuse me, I'm going to flip my paper again. Old school <laughs> notes. Um, we get a one-armed Matt Jackson catching a leaping Ray Phoenix. And the Young Bucks hit the Meltzer driver for the three count to end 
a fast and furious awesome tag team match. But Olivia, what do you think? I loved this match. I would say it's one of the most anticipated matches of the night. Um, definitely for me, because I love the Young Bucks. Um, it was super fast-paced. Um, probably the most fast-paced match of, like, tag team match of the night, which I appreciated. Um, I didn't count this precisely, so this is very much an exaggeration, but, like, kind of not really. Where I just, like, Nick does, like, 9,000 fucking backflips of this match. Like, I... <laughs> was so dizzy by the end of it. Um, so definitely, please go watch this match. It's he, awesome. He does that thing where he'll backflip over the rope and land on the apron, do the springboard yeah. X-Factor, then backflip over the yes. ropes and backflip onto his opponent <laughs> on the outside. It's like insane. Yes. It's so insane. Who thinks of that? And you know what? <laughs> this type of match, I had to make this specific note because I didn't, honestly, I've gone this like whole year, basically, without like really like, you know, feeling so-so about there not being like crowds. But watching this back makes me miss crowds so much because there's nothing like being in a live crowd like that, watching a super awesome match, and you're getting hyped, everyone around you's getting hyped, you know, and just like cheering the whole time. And like at one point they get a standing ovation mm -hmm. in this match, um, and that rarely ever happens in wrestling. Um, it's really hard to entertain people these days, mm -hmm. and so I just, I don't know, something really struck a nerve with me where I'm like, damn, like, that crowd is so excited. I know. Can I, can I interrupt you real quick? Totally. So this was like a four and a half hour show, if you're including pre-show to Yeah, end. so it's surprising. And from the <laughs> moment it started, the pre-show, to the moment it ended, that crowd was lit from beginning to end. They exactly. never had a down period. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think that's kind of the beautiful part about being a new wrestling program is, you know, it's one thing to say like, oh, this is what we're going to do. And it's going to be kind of different, but you know, it's going to be still super entertaining wrestling. There's going to be, you know, some new names on here, but of course, you know, some names that you already know internationally. And it, I, I think it takes people aback when they go to those shows. And I even thought like when we went to just like a regular, you know, episode of Dynamite that I... I think you had said something along the lines to me, something something along the lines of like, well, be prepared because it's not like it's not like WWE level production. So I like went in feeling kind of underwhelmed, but then as we were watching the show, I was like, this is like it's really good wrestling. Like fuck production and fuck you know like the actual quality of mm -hmm. it. Like this is like some good ass wrestling. So I think that you know, in this day and age where it's all about the production side of it rather than the actual wrestling, when you get really good wrestling, a crowd's actually get excited. Who would have thought? Right. Uh, so, with all that being said, I gave this a 4 out of 5 because I thought this match was fucking awesome. I gave it a 4.5 out of 5 because I love this match. I love both tag teams. The Young Bucks are just awesome. They know it. They are the best tag team in the world right now. Bar none. I... Don't care. If you want to argue, you're wrong. So, and the Lucha Brothers are also an amazing, amazing tag team. Um, and they just went from the opening bell to the end. They told a great tag team story of, you know, just a feud that they had. And it's, it's great. And we will see some great Young Bucks matches in the future. We'll see some great Lucha Brothers matches in the future. Can't wait to get to the Young Bucks versus Adam Page and Kenny Omega in a couple weeks. So exciting. Because, oh my God, that match is amazing. But Olivia, <laughs> it's 
How many super kicks are in the Young Bucks versus Lucha Brothers match? I'm going to say... Okay, are we just counting just the super kicks that the Young Bucks had? No, just in total. All, just yes. in total. Like 11? Oh, fuck. She got it on the dot. 11. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, hold on. Let me make sure. Yep, 11. So... Wow, okay. Eight of them were from the Young Bucks. I was going to guess that. Shut up. I was going to guess that because I was like, it feels anywhere from like 8 to 15. And I feel like just if it's just counting the Young Bucks, it's going to be around 8, 7 or 8. But if it's including both of them, I feel like it's around 11-ish. Yeah, that's, uh, wow, that's a lot okay. of super kicks. Wow. So. Cool story about the Young Bucks. I just bought their book that I've yet to start reading. But I flipped through the pictures because like, autobiographies always have pictures. And in 2002, it says the Young Bucks at the Anaheim Market, which I used to go to all the time. And I would watch the wrestling shows there. And Nick Jackson is my age. He's like a couple months older than me. Yeah. He's born in 89. Matt's, I think, born in like 85 or 86 or something like that. Um... So, and Anaheim is the city I'm from. So I'm wondering, like, did I see these dudes wrestle when they were, like, 13 to 16? yeah. And, like, just don't know? Like, I had to have, right? Yeah, totally. So that's pretty cool. So Young Bucks, if you're listening, love you guys. Love you very much. Yes, thank you you for being so sweet and taking a picture with me and letting me throw out the too sweet because you guys legally can't do it anymore. Um, But I can, so, because Vince McMahon's an asshole. Anyway. Uh, we're moving on to our main event. We get Chris Jericho, legend, my one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, taking on my current favorite wrestler, Kenny Omega. And this is called Alpha vs. Omega 2 because in Japan, before AEW became a thing, Chris Jericho attacked Kenny Omega and they had a match for the NJ, N, NJ, New Japan Pro Wrestling Intercontinental Championship. Jesus Christ. Um, which Kenny Omega won. So this is the second match between the two. Um, this was a really cool start to the, well, they had a double, they had a press conference announcing AEW and Kenny Omega's like, I'm here, I'm all elite, I'm ready to do it. And then Chris Jericho came out of nowhere, which was the biggest headline because no one knew he was actually going to do that. And he challenged Omega to a match. So AEW, while they had great wrestlers already, they had Cody, they had the Young Bucks, they had Kenny Omega, got just skyrocketed by signing someone as legendary and well-known and respected as Chris Jericho. Yeah, I feel like he's, like, kind of, like, the last cornerstone to, right. like, the AEW roster. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, this guy's going against The Undertaker. That's going to make this guy. Putting yeah. Chris Jericho there is going to make them. So that yeah. was the, that was just a coup that they got Chris Jericho. Um, so the, the entrance was really cool because um, lights go out, and then it shines on the entrance, and there is someone, not Chris Jericho, dressed in Chris Jericho's original Lionheart attire which was his japan and his mexico and his wcw thing and then the light goes off to the another entrance and it's someone dresses the list of jericho chris jericho and then lights go off again and we get the light up jacket chris jericho and then the lights go on again and we get real 50 year old chris jericho making his dad bod way to the ring with looking, his donning his fedora and everything yes looking super metal and super cool like the greatest rock star dad on the planet <laughs> Um, coming out to his own music, which is such a douchey hill move, and I love it. Like, <laughs> oh, what's my entrance music going to be? My band. Cause it's easy to get the rights to it, I though, know, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kenny Omega enters. He comes out dressed as uh, Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII, which is a massive boner for me because I love Final Fantasy. You look like you want to say something. 
Yeah, I mean, just your dog is very distracting because he is so cute right now. Oh, yeah, look at that. He's just, he's just like, I hate wrestling. Stop talking about it. Um, <laughs> he's to- so tired of our shit, honestly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's just like, you guys do this every Sunday. <laughs> but uh, regardless, back to loving Kenny Omega. Yes. So um, he comes out dressed as Sephiroth. He's got these sweet black and pink lightning tights on. And then we get to the announcement. Um, both men are from Winnipeg, which is cool. We get their height, weights, where they're from, blah, blah, blah. Then there is a Cracker Barrel barrel in the ring. I didn't hear why. Ad placement? I guess. Sponsor, I guess. I, I know there's a coming up a pay-per-view coming up where like Jimmy Havoc puts Joey Janela through it or Darby Allen through like a Cracker Barrel barrel. But there was a barrel in there. They're definitely gonna crack that barrel, that's for sure. Yep, so I <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh Jericho starts the match out early. He uh turns a Hurricanrana into a Walls of Jericho right off the bat, which was really cool. Um, they make it to the outside. Jericho then begins to wear down Omega until, uh, Omega hits his opponent with a V-trigger and then a uh, couple drop kicks as well. Jericho grabs a table from under the ring and Omerica, uh, Omerica, Omega slides through it and drop kicks the table into Jericho's face numerous times. And then the table is laying on Chris Jericho on the outside and Kenny Omega does a jumping over the top rope, foot first dive onto the table, just straight onto Jericho's face which looked horrible. By the way, the AEW tables are like some of the ugliest tables I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. But that's beside the point. Uh, like paper thin as well. Like if you breathe on those, like they're breaking. Yes. Somewhere the table got set up because a few minutes later, Omega gets knocked off the ropes and through the table. I didn't see this. I didn't I, see the I table. I want to know up, who's this ghost that is yeah. setting up these tables <laughs> to make this happen. Exactly. So if we were there, we might have seen you someone know, do it. You know, talk about, you know, production shortcomings. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's something that you would notice, but like once you notice it, you're like, wait. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wait a damn minute. Wait a tick. Jericho locks in another Walls of Jericho, but then turns it into the Lion Tamer, which we haven't seen him do in forever. Um, a Walls of Jericho is a Boston Crab. You get the opponent's legs up between your legs, and Jericho sits on his opponent's back. But the Lion Tamer, he does the same movement, but instead he gets one leg up and one knee onto their lower back and like really torques it. And it's really cool to see him do the lion tamer again because it takes a lot of bendability to be able to be put in that lion tamer yeah and it made my back hurt just thinking about it uh jericho catches a flying omega with the code breaker only gets a two count but then omega eats one last code break code breaker and the very first time we ever see the judas effect which is his new finisher the flying back elbow and chris jericho is the winner he hops on the mic tells the fans why are you booing me you should be thanking me for making adw what it is i am the greatest of all time and his back is turned, and the crowd starts going apeshit. And you can't see why at first. The crowd is just going insane. And then all of a sudden, the camera cuts, and it's John Moxley. And why this is important is because he had just finished out his contract with WWE as Dean Ambrose. And he's in AEW on their first pay-per-view. He comes in, attacks Chris Jericho, beats the shit out of the referee, and then... Is about to attack Kenny Omega, and Omega kind of counters it. The two fight to the outside. There are these um, massive poker chips on the stage. They fight to the stage. Moxley hits Omega with the paradigm shift on top of the poker chips and then throws him off of them about 10 feet through the stage and stands tall to end AEW's first pay-per-view. And seeing John Moxley there the first time was cool. You had forgotten that it happened, so like... When he appeared, you were like, oh, that's right, Moxley's here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Olivia, what do we think of the main event and John Moxley's appearance? Um, I Okay, so I was a huge fan of this. Um, 
this is the uh only, i feel like really the only um match on this card where uh there's just like very much an attrition style of wrestling where they try to see who can outman one another um hence like all of the slapping and the kicking at the beginning um <laughs> I was, like, pretty sure that, like, this whole match was just, like, a competition to see, like, how many bones they could break in each one of their bodies. Which, oh, I think Kenny Omega broke his nose because yeah. he, like, was bleeding from the nose exactly. very early. Um, but regardless, like, super awesome. And it was a very solid match. Um, so, okay. So, before I, I go any further, I want to say, while this was a very good match and I liked what happened post-match, this is not my favorite match from the two of these men both Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho um respectfully uh so I this wasn't like you know I wasn't raving over this match it was a very good match and I was like hell yeah like solid into the show but like wasn't like I wasn't like you know being the woo girl wooing it um so for that I gave this match a 3.5 out of 5 and I thought it was a good match and a really good closer to the show mm-hmm. um so yeah I gave it a four out of five. I thought a very good match as well. Jericho will always be a step behind what he used to be. He's just, I mean, he's old. He's 40. He was 49 at this point. He's 50 now. Yeah. He's always going to be a step behind. And even Chris Jericho as a step behind is still one of the best wrestlers in the world. So he's one of the best for a reason. Um, I think him and Kenny Omega complement each other very well. They're both known for their submission or, well, their striking. Um, Jericho's got more submission style. Kenny Omega's got more her flying style. So I think they work very well off each other um and this was probably the right main event to have for the first show you're definitely, definitely gonna want to put chris jericho there yeah. the option was either kenny omega or cody and cody obviously was tied up with his brother so you gotta throw kenny omega yeah. in there and great match um awesome ending i remember watching it live and when i saw john moxley i was fucking so stoked i was like screaming in my living room with no one around i was watching it by myself and you know what's so awesome too <laughs> Is that I think that while it's been nice to, I guess, have WWE be one of, like, like the wrestling shows for, you know, however many years, you know, basically as a standalone, it is, like, so cool to see, like, wrestlers who are obviously very talented, both in the ring, on the mic, you know, in whatever persona that they have, you know, go from being so underutilized and almost misused and mistreated to going to a company where they're not only fully embraced, uh, but they're totally utilized in every, like, good way possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that what's so awesome about AEW is that, you know, you get, while we kind of ragged on them about being, you know, sort of the pseudo-same kind of production product that we get, you know, from WWE, I think the difference between the two is that AEW has this, like, weird sort of, you know, kind of, like, punk kid, edgy style where it's, like, I'm, I'm not going to let you tell me, like, what to do. So I think a lot of these performers have a lot of creative freedom. And I think that John Moxley is actually the character that he was supposed to be all along. Mm-hmm. And I totally love it. And I think it's a damn shame that WWE didn't, you know creative differences aside take advantage of that because at the end of the day it's obviously a very good gimmick and he's obviously made it very far you know in AEW he wasn't just like a flash in the pan he so. was a champion exactly yeah. so this is like super exciting 
And like I said, one of my predictions for 2021 or things I like to see in 2021 would be, you know, more people going to AEW. So I hope, hopefully we see, you know, some stars that are dwindling get right. reignited in AEW. Yeah, you need you needed something like this at totally. the end of the show. Because like Jericho winning is great. Him and Kenny Omega putting on a good match is great. But you needed that that thing. And I remember the... The rumor around this was like, oh, would it be John Moxley? Probably not quite yet because I don't think his no compete clause is done. And then other people thought it would be CM Punk, either of which would have been awesome. Um, but man, it, the right choice was John Moxley to get totally. him there. And I like to compare him and Dean Ambrose, which was his WWE character. So Dean Ambrose is um, like a PG-13 horror movie, like The Ring. Good, interesting, but it's just not that R rating. And then you get John Moxley, which is like, Friday the 13th. It's just bloody, gory, everything you want the dude to be, everything he should have been. Yeah. And you get that great, like, he's not a slasher character, but you get that great, like, violent character that he always wanted to be. Yeah, because it's, I I think it's so funny, because you and I have touched upon this a couple times, where we have a real big love-hate relationship with the quote-unquote crazy characters, Mm -hmm. and when you don't have that sort of, like, feral, violent aspect to them that backs up that craziness, it seems disingenuous to have that sort of and almost like very I don't know very generic to slap it, that gimmick on somebody and be like you're crazy but you can't be violent and you can't be aggressive and you can't be like unpredictable right because we have to write down to the second everything that's gonna happen in the show but when you have that sort of creative freedom in a different program then you get that you know that richness of the character that was needed all along right and yeah. it's way more believable of a product in the end. Absolutely. Ambrose was cool. Moxley is badass. Totally. Yeah. All right, Olivia, what is your match of the night, performer of the night, and final grade for AEW's Double or Nothing 2019? Okay, so my match of the night has to go to um, the main tag event, um, Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers. I thought that that was the match that I was most excited for. Um, and just, I, I love a good tag match. <sighs> Performer of the night. I don't know why I didn't think of this. Um, I, you know what? I'm just going to give it, uh, hmm, I'm not really sure. Uh, honestly, I don't really know. <sighs> you gotta pick someone. I know, but this is just, it's just so hard. You can say like... everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'll give it to Sheeta. She took a trash can to the head, so... <laughs> um, yeah, we'll give it to her. All right, and your final grade? Um, my final grade, I actually did write this down. I actually did have some forethought with thinking about this. <laughs> oh, I thank promise. God. Uh, <laughs> my final rating for this uh, was a 3.5 out of 5. I thought it was a really solid show. Um, really, really good wrestling. I cannot emphasize that enough. I thought that the latter half of the show was very strong, However, my only qualm that I have about this is that I feel as though AEW can only get so far by relying on their founding members mm-hmm. members rather than like the entire roster. Um, so I think that moving forward, we might have some up and downs in terms of the strength of their pay-per-views. Um, but for now, this one, this one was really solid. Mm-hmm. It was really good. I, um, there wasn't anything that I was disappointed by. So Yeah. Um, my match of the night goes to Cody and Dustin. I mean, I think I made that abundantly clear yeah. by giving it the grade um for the reasons i made abundantly clear so i'll just kind of stop talking about it because i know you weren't a big fan of this match. <laughs> my performer of the night goes to john moxley though just because okay. like i feel mostly for him i feel like that was probably such a release 
Because so he, he liked working for WWE, but he was unsatisfied. Kind of like Brody Lee. We talked about him at the beginning of the show, of course. He liked working for WWE. It was good for his family, but he was dissatisfied, so he wanted to try something else. And he did something great. Exactly what John Moxley was able is able to do in AEW now. And it's great for him. It's great for his wife. And that's awesome. And he looked like a fucking mega star in his, what, two minutes on screen? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm giving it to John Moxley. Um, the very first performer of the night we got for AEW, at least an AEW pay-per-view. Attire of the night is going to the uh, Young Bucks Elvis attire because that was just hilarious. Like, God, what a bunch of dicks. You know, I'm really surprised that you didn't say who was it that had... Um... Oh, it was on the pre-show. Fuck. Uh, who was it where you were like, oh, I really like their trunks. And it was like that shark teal with like the orange. Oh, uh, Kip Sabian. Yes, thank you. I'm um, it probably would have been if the Young Bucks, you know, didn't buck it up. It's and so they'll probably, they'll be winning Attire of the Night a lot of a times. Lot. <laughs> because there is a show where they come out dressed as Ken and Ryu from Street Fighter. Love so, it. So, yeah. Um, and my final grade is a four out of five. Okay. Um, I think for an inaugural show, this was very good. It's not perfect, and yeah. I knew it wasn't going to be perfect. Um, but I liked it for the most part. All the matches were very, very good. They highlighted the best things they needed to. And we're not here to just suck AEW's, AEW's dick and hate on WWE. We like WWE. Yeah. But AEW is just like a nice little breath of fresh air. It's like when you take your mask off after yeah. work. And well, you all I'm saying is, is that I think that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and just, you know, boast about AEW all day long because there were some minor hiccups that I definitely noted on, but there was not one singular point in, in watching this pay-per-view again where I was like, this is stupid. Right. Like... I do that so many times when I'm watching WWE where I'm sitting there and I'm trying to be immersed in the product that I'm watching. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. I I think I agree with you. I think it can be said that while we, we love WWE and we grew up loving WWE, yeah. um, it's just become a little maybe stale to us. Whereas a little bit. AEW and NXT, even though NXT is technically WWE, we're always excited to see it because they have a little more free reign they're allowed to do a lot more than just what the writers and the producers and Vince McMahon say they're allowed to get away with a lot more yeah. so it makes it more interesting like the amount of times I saw people spiked on their dome on this show and NXT shows you're never you're never gonna see a woman take a trash can to the fucking head yeah but you'll see it here but you know what I have to say to that because I remember when AEW first debuted and that was like one thing that a lot of people who were just I guess weirdly adamant against like watching AEW for whatever reason. Um, like their whole big thing was like, oh, it's so dangerous and it's so like uh, they do things that you're like not supposed to do in in wrestling and it can like you could severely injure somebody by doing it. But to me, it speaks volumes about the professionalism of both you know NXT rosters and the AEW rosters because, I mean, you have to be a very highly skilled trained professional. Mm -hmm. To be able to do that. And I think that while WWE does a really good job of picking people who are really big names and they're really entertaining, um, they sometimes don't have the most finesse, especially when they're cherry-picking people from years past to pull in those nostalgia strings and they're kind of a step behind. Mm -hmm. You don't really get that same quickness and that same you know control that they once had. So I think that... You know, maybe maybe it's not so much that it's dangerous. Maybe you just have to be a really, really good trained professional to be able to pull it off safely. Right. So that's what and, I have to say about and that. I, th I think plenty of WWE guys would be able to. 
but Vince just doesn't want them to. Like, yeah. there's no way AJ Styles going to have a match like this with Dolph Ziggler on SmackDown. Well, exactly. But he just won't let him. So, um, but we'll stop talking about the, yeah. the comparisons <laughs> between the two companies. I kind of want to try and keep them separate because AW is great. WWE, we, again, we love WWE, but we'll try and keep them as separate like as possible. Like I said, they're just very, they're very different. Right. So while I hop on my phone real quick to remember what the next AEW pay-per-view is, because I can't think of it off the top of my head. Absolutely. Um, do you want to take us home? Take us home. <laughs> so please go uh, give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform that you prefer. Please go give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, whether you love us or you hate us, that would help us out immensely. Please go do that. Other than that, you can check us out on Instagram where we post Really, really bad memes, but they're funny at the same time. <laughs> um, we work very hard to either find those or create those. So please do go follow us on Instagram at That's Gotta Be Wrestling. And also, if you're looking to, you know, adorn your laptop with some cool stickers, go check out our That's Gotta Be Wrestling logo sticker on Redbubble. Um, and it's a nice little retro 80s style edition, you know, little type sticker to add to your collection and to show your support for that's got to be wrestling. But other than that, we will be talking about some AEW show next week. We'll be talking about Fighter Fest 2019, Perfect. which was such a funny name for a pay-per-view. So relevant in 2019, yes. not so much in 2021. But we're still going to be talking about it because yep. we love wrestling and we love AEW. So yes. And what I'm going to try and do... Said, yes. What I'm going to try and do is kind of close out on a quote from a wrestler that's pertaining to the show. And since we brought him up at the beginning, even though it's not going to make much sense at the end of this, I want to close it out with a Mr. Brody Lee quote by saying, it's Monday, you know what that means. <laughs>